0: This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready?
1: Go. Let's go from AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This here comes a big chance. The shot is, is just the tagger. The neutral zone. Oh my oh my God. God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson.
2: What's going on, folks? It's time for another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and I have to tell you, I could not have jammed any more into this episode of The Neutral Zone. We have three interviews all coming at you in the next hour, keeping our technician Matt Agnew even more busy than he already is on a friday so sit back relax and enjoy the episode alongside me is josh watson josh how are you
3: i am doing well brock it is friday afternoon we're on the show and despite a little rain it's not a bad day out there so looking forward to a great show and as you said a very busy show
2: yes and also joining us is claire buchanan claire how are you
4: I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited for uh, these interviews we got lined up here.
2: Yes, it's going to be very, very good. And we're going to squeeze in a little bit of March Madness uh, chat before we get really going here. Quick thoughts on March Madness, what we've seen, what are we looking forward to headed into the round of 16, which begins uh, tomorrow. Josh, start with you.
3: Well, in my particular case, I've been really surprised by this uh, number 15 seed, Oral Roberts University. Uh, One of the things I love about March Madness is that you sometimes find out about schools you didn't know existed, and these folks are certainly one of them. But they are a 15 seed, they've made it to the Sweet 16, and who knows how much further they'll go. The other story I like is University of Michigan and Jawan Howard, their coach, who's a former member of the Fab Five, who I remember watching growing up, and who had a long NBA career. And so he's now gone back to his alma mater to coach, and they're doing quite well. So I think they might be my team this year.
4: Yeah, so I'm going to start with the uh, women's side. So um, Caitlin Clark and Paige Bucher. Bukers, they they go head to head on Saturday, and they arguably are the two hottest shooters and players in the game right now on the women's side. So, UConn and Iowa that's that's definitely a game I am going to look out for. And on the men's side, as a Bama as a Bama athlete in the past of mine, I, uh, I have seen over the last few years that their men's basketball team have have slowly become a title contender, and they're doing really well in the tournament right now. So I'm excited to watch them play. They are currently 16. They, they went 16 for 33 from three versus Maryland. So they're, they're a hot-handed team. So I'm excited to watch Bama Roll Tide.
2: Yes, those will never shy away from the ones they are always close to. And I know Alabama is close to your heart uh, and always will be given your athletic career out there. For me, uh gotta focus on Gonzaga. They have just been rolling through uh competition. I expect no different as we head into the final sixteen. I honestly think they're going to uh roll right through and be undefeated and win the championship. So that's a quick look at March Madness again. The rest of it gets uh finishes up uh through early next week and so do watch. Uh, let's get to last week's uh, Twitter poll question was, do you believe New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer? 89% of you said yes, 11% of you said no. This week's Twitter poll question goes as follows. With the Toronto Blue Jays season one just under one week away, what kind of team are they? Make the playoffs, winning record or losing record? Those are your options for this week. And go to our Twitter handles, which we will give to you later on in the show, to cast your vote. Let's get into the headlines.
3: Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James suffered a high ankle sprain this week. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski fills us in. They're still evaluating uh, that high ankle sprain, but, uh,
0: but, but I'm told that the Lakers are preparing for the possibility they could be without LeBron James for three weeks, even a month. That's a normal... Uh, time frame for recovery uh, for that injury, but they're still uh, firming up a timeline. James has shown in his career an incredible ability uh, to recover quickly from injury and play through injury, uh, but this one's not going to be so easy. And you know, the Lakers again are preparing for the possibility uh, this is going to be weeks, uh, not
3: days. With the injury, it's going to be very interesting to see what L.A. can do to cover until they get him back. High ankle sprains are not something you want to mess with, particularly when you're in a, a running sport like basketball.
4: For the first time this season, the National Hockey League's North Division has been hit by COVID. After an outbreak with the Montreal Canadiens, the league postponed their three games against the Edmonton Oilers.
3: NHL referee Tim Peel from New Brunswick has been fired after he was caught on live TV swearing and saying that he wanted to call a penalty on the Nashville Predators. Aaron Katursky has more.
1: The NHL ousted referee Tim Peel, who was overheard during the Nashville Predators-Detroit Red Wings game after he had called a Predators player for tripping, even though the Red Wings player appeared to embellish his fall.
5: There wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early. The
1: The NHL said there is no justification for Peel's remark, which the league said went against the cornerstone principle of game integrity. Peel had been an NHL referee since 1999. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York.
3: This is a sad situation where somebody got caught speaking their mind on a live microphone. I feel bad for Mr. Peel, but at the same time, you cannot admit to making makeup calls in any league, even though we know they happen.
2: The trade deadline has come and gone and Kyle Lowry remains a Toronto Raptor. Norman Powell goes to Portland in exchange for Gary Trent Jr. and R- Rodney Hood. Matt Thomas goes to the U- Utah Jazz in exchange for second round draft picks. Those are your headlines for this week and always lots of uh, great topical stories in that first uh segment coming up next we're going to talk to emma payton who is poynton who is the technical uh advisor and delegate for world para ice hockey hang in we'll be right back you're listening to the neutral zone right here on ami
1: And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. Play ball. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at Neutral Zone BR. Right. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over the first base. Oh. For a routine act. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at Jay Watson 200 Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio.
2: Welcome back to the program right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Um, We are joined by Emma here. She comes from Australia and she joins us today to talk a little bit about their program in Australia. Emma, welcome to the program and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Josh, and
6: thanks, Claire.
4: Emma, women's pair ice hockey has been a bit of a struggle, specifically in Melbourne, over the last couple of years. However, in Brisbane, it has shown that there has been more success with the sport. Can you discuss why there's a difference there? Yeah, look, uh, Claire, we um, use the term "growing the game" when we talk about women's hockey and sort of you
6: know growing the women's game specifically. Um, in other words, you know we need to increase participation. We need our priority to be. You know, starting up from a grassroots level when we grow sports here in Australia. Um, obviously, the, the number one hurdle in the last 12 months, both here and worldwide, has been the ceasing of sort of organised sport with the rolling COVID lockdowns. And I guess prior to that as well, the recruitment of athletes has been initially slow here. Um, it's fair to say that ice hockey is not sort of, you know, the mainstream sport like it is for you guys in Canada. Um, but I think what Brisbane has done well... Up north, they've offered a real welcoming environment with their come-and-try recruitment skates. Um, They run at multiple skates a week in family-friendly hours. Um, As you know, it's tough to recruit athletes with late-night skates. And I'm sure hockey players here and in Canada are all too familiar with those sort of late-night skates where you leave the rink after midnight, and that's pretty hard to recruit and develop a sport. So Queensland's done well with their come-and-try skates. Um, And then also looking at Brisbane, I guess, they've had a successful few years of recruitment and to their credit, they now have a structured development program. And once you have that development program, the word of the sport grows in the community, the local community is aware of your sport and that drives more growth internally as well. So I really do credit them for
3: that. With that being said, can you talk to us a little bit about the potential that Melbourne has for the women's game?
6: Yeah, look, most definitely as a general rule, um, Australians love sport, especially contact sports. So if you take, for example, um, the AFL, or you you guys might know it as Aussie Rules, um, that's very strong here in Melbourne. We also have sort of a rugby culture higher up north. They're both tough contact sports. You combine that sort of interest in contact and tough sports with Melbourne being um, arguably like the sporting capital of Australia, we love to both participate and watch action sports I sort of truly believe Melbourne, with the right development program in place, led by passionate volunteers who have that one driving goal to grow the game, increase participation numbers, Melbourne definitely has that sort of you know, achievable potential um, to establish both a recreational pathway and an elite pathway to have para ice hockey really boom down here.
4: In your role with Para Ice Hockey as technical advisor, one of your most immediate goals is to bring more awareness to the sport. How do you go about doing that?
6: Yeah, Claire, look, I really am quite passionate about it, but my main area of interest, um, or my portfolios, as such, is sort of developing nations, the sea pool nations, but especially women's Para Ice Hockey Worldwide. So I really wish to focus my attention on working with nations um, to help establish their national women's program. The key here is we need national women's teams, and we need um, we need them to prepare to be able to send women's teams to events like the SWAN 2022 World Para Ice Hockey World Challenge. The um, general rule we need women need to see women play, girls need to see girls play, because um, if they can't see girls and women playing hockey. Then they've got nothing to aspire to so we need social media attention we need girls seeing girls play hockey um and just increasing the talk about the sport as the general whole at local rinks in local communities and particularly online and social media
3: now there's a world championship scheduled for 2023 i'm curious is australia considering bidding for those games and if so how would that impact the sport in australia
6: Yeah, the exact international sort of timeline for women's hockey is somewhat fluid, but in the ideal world, um, we'd have the World Power Ice Hockey host the 2022 Women's World Challenge Cup, and that would be late September in 2022, and that's going to be the real first sort of test event. In regards to 2023, that's sort of pending the success of the 2022 tournament, um, and that would be the first sort of, you know, women's. Uh, World Championship. As for Australia hosting, um, of course, I'd love to host such an event down here, as just as much, I'm sure, all the athletes and support staff of each team would love to come play down in Australia. Um, hosting would definitely, I guess, achieve the attention that I spoke of earlier, that we need to help promote the sport in Australia. It would get us media attention, it would get us local community attention, um, and it would be a huge recruitment tool to use, because if you look what's happened with the Czech Republic following they're hosting of the 2019 April Men's World Championship in Strava. They've had a huge recruitment drive. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I guess it's still early days domestically here with the Power Ice Hockey program. So what I might suggest is, um, Josh, you asked me that question in 12 months' time. And if we're in a position to say yes, I guess you can all fight me for who gets to crash on my couch, you are more than welcome to come and attend.
4: Well, um, I guess my next question is a little uh, ahead of our schedule, but with 2026 possibly being the inaugural Paralympics for the sport, going along with uh, the World Cup and and hopefully the World Championships, how achievable is this goal as we kind of sit here right now?
6: Yeah, look, it's an absolute, it's a long-term yet achievable goal. So that's the sort of the golden goose, the carrot um, we're all aiming for. So, uh, yes, it's a long-term achievable goal. Uh, the steps required, uh, or what we would be required to do, would be a successful 2022 Women's World Challenge, followed by a successful 2024 Women's World Championship. And what success would include would mean six or more competitive individual national teams who are considered ready for the big stage of the Winter Paralympic Hockey. Um, so, do I think it's achievable? Yes, I do. Will it be easy? Most definitely not. Um, and what it will take it will be an army or a village of mentors worldwide working together. Um, we need mentors, coaches, volunteers, sponsors, etc., to get the athletes and their national teams ready for the caliber of hockey that we need to achieve. Um, but I think if we create a women's worldwide network of support, we all work together with the final goal of including women's tournament hockey into the 2026 Paralympic Games, I believe we're still on target, and that end game is definitely achievable. So it's something for us to not only dream but work towards.
2: Emma, we really appreciate uh, you coming on our program today. We know the uh, time difference is uh, quite significant, as I know it's early Saturday morning. Very much appreciate you coming on the show to uh, highlight hockey in Australia and beyond. Yeah, thanks so much, Josh, and thanks to Claire as well. And with that, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back, and we're gonna preview an episode of our community with Colin Cameron. Hang in, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI.
1: If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail.
2: Welcome back to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And as I mentioned off the top of our show, we have a busy one, and it continues in this segment. Our next guest, Colin Cameron, comes to us from Sudbury, Ontario, and is a multi medalist in para-Nordic skiing, or as it's more commonly known, cross-country skiing. Recently, Colin was involved in an episode of AMI-TV, our community episode, and it featured Kiwi Park. It became the first park to become a training ground for para sports. Colin, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me.
3: Colin, let's start off with what exactly is Kiwi Park?
5: Yeah, definitely. So Kiwi Park is... Uh, this huge outdoor recreational facility in Zebra, uh, just on Long Lake. Um, it was donated by the Fielding family, and um, within about three years since it's been opened, there's um, a huge skating path there, a number of ski trails, fat bike trails, a uh, new pump track, a large park. It's just this massive um, outdoor accessible park that anyone all ages, abilities, can go explore in Sudbury.
4: Can you talk about how Kibby Park essentially got started and became the first outdoor training center in Ontario?
5: Um, so my coach, Patty Kittler, in Sudbury, she runs the Paranordic Program basically for all of Ontario, but is uh, from Lively. And that was kind of her her dream to have um, a designated facility somewhere in Ontario that we could call home for our Paranordic program. So that was, uh, that was a lot of work on her part to get that rolling to make Kibi a designated training spot for Paranordic in, in Ontario.
3: And how will this outdoor facility benefit the sport of Paranordic skiing?
5: Um, well, we'll have a place where we can uh, be central. We can have all the athletes, um, all across Ontario. Come to Sudbury. It's pretty pretty easy to get there, whether you're coming from southern Ontario or somewhere in the north. Um, Kibby Park is completely accessible for anyone if they're in a wheelchair or skiing or standing or visually impaired, whatever it might be. Um, but it's really important that we have this, um, this facility where we can all gather and, I mean, pre-COVID, of course, but um, gather and train as a team and a group. And that's really important, especially or newer athletes just kind of dipping their toes in the, in the water of Paranordics.
2: Colin Cameron is joining us, and we are discussing the AMI TV's recent episode of Our Community, focused on Kiwi Park, and you can catch that episode on the AMI app, which you can download from the App Store And you can also go to AMI.ca slash our community for the recent episode. I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone.
4: For people who want to go back and watch this episode of Our Community on AMI, what should they take away from the feature when they watch it?
5: Um, I think the biggest takeaway is just how amazing of a place we have just in February um, that anyone can go and just go explore, whether you just want to go for a walk or go skiing or even try your hand at cross-country skiing or or fat biking with the rental facility that's there.
3: And I'm curious, why, in your opinion, was it so important for the park to be featured in this way?
5: I think just, just to get it known that we have uh, a paranordic program in Sudbury. There's There's a lot of people out there that don't even know it exists i didn't know that we had a paranordic program at all in sudbury until i started looking for a sport to do um so i think it's just important just just to get it out there so if there's anyone that is interested in trying paranordic there's a place that they can do that
4: now colin in your career you've had a ton of success in the sport other than just brutal hard work what do you attribute that to
5: yeah other than that um yeah I think just just being dedicated to the process and trusting in in myself and and the plan that I have to balance work life training life and and just life in general.
2: What was it specifically uh Colin about the sport that drew you to it? Um I think the fact that I can just get outside and do something.
5: You know, by myself, it's so freeing going out for a ski. Um It's the best feeling. That's that's probably it for me.
2: <laughs> and do you have like um, a favorite place that you've skied over your career that you're like, oh yeah, when I step on X hill or when I'm here, this is where I feel most comfortable. And if so, how come that hill stands out? Um. Probably two places
5: come to mind, aside from Sudbury, just because I live there and train there all the time. But um, definitely Canmore, Alberta, where the National Team Training Center is located. Um, And we go to a training facility in New Zealand normally every August for three weeks in their winter. And that's probably one of my other favorite places to go ski.
2: (laughs) And is there any, like, particular reason why that stands out or is it just the feel of that place
5: i think i think just the fact of getting to see the mountains when you're in either of those places just going somewhere different um i never traveled growing up i never started traveling until i started cross-country skiing so even even to this day every time i go to somewhere i've already been it's, it's an amazing experience
4: with Beijing right at a year away, what, what are you looking forward to most and what goals do you have in mind?
5: Yeah, I think just uh, continuing to focus on, on my training plan and the process that we have um, with the goals for Beijing, obviously being you know to win. I'd love to go there and um, win the sprint race and compete well in biathlon as I did in, in Pyeongchang. So just build on
2: training and just keep my focus on that. For, for me, like when I was doing uh, research on this interview, one of the things that really uh, stood out was just your overall uh, success. You've had multiple uh, gold medals. Can you talk a little bit about the training when it's not wintertime to get yourself ready um, to be at your best? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two, there's two basic, um, I guess,
5: training tools that I have when we don't have snow. So the one is basically a vertical rowing machine, and I have that in my apartment. Um, quite honestly, it's very boring because you're just sitting there staring at a wall using this ski erg, it's called. Um, but it's a great tool that I can have, especially when it's raining or kind of in between seasons. But in the summer, I basically put my sit ski and I just bolted onto this large skateboard. So essentially, I can still double pole exactly like I would on snow but I can just go on the roads and I do that basically every day just like I would ski in the winter every day
2: awesome well Colin we really appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to preview the episode of uh, uh, our community and of course as I mentioned you can go to the app and catch that or online ami.ca slash our community. And we hope to have you on again down the line and best of luck in your future uh, sports goals. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on today. That was Colin Cameron, who previewed the most recent episode of our community called Kiwi Park. And he was also telling us a little bit about his athletic career and that he's been successful in cross-country skiing. After the break, we're going to chat... A little bit with uh, Brian Lewis, who was a former official and also the head of officiating in uh, late 1990s, that 1989 to two, 2000. So that conversation will be right up next. You're listening to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Guys, we have some uh, some time here for sure uh, before we bring on uh, Brian Lewis, but I just want to get your overall thoughts on uh, what happened with Tim Peel, uh, which we discussed at the top of the headlines, he was released of his duties uh, earlier this week because he was on microphone saying, I wanted to call a penalty against Nashville early in the game. Uh, there was obviously an expletive there. But when you heard about this, Claire, what was your overall thought?
4: I mean, it, the situation just sucks all around. Um, me being, I, I have done referee coaching in the past and um there isn't, I mean, you shouldn't go into games with this idea of, oh, I'm going to call, I'm going to make calls towards one team right off the bat or or the other way around. Um, it's more so, yes, these calls happen, but they happen when they, when the game is going on and it's, it's getting out of hand, people are getting a little rough. So, yes refs across all sports will make calls to kind of calm the, calm the game down and and make people kind of play a little more fairly. But to go into a game like this and already have that kind of predisposition that you're going to make the game sway one way is, is a little disappointing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my perspective, when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, so he made a call and he, he wants to make a makeup call and he got caught on audio saying he was going to do it, but then I actually heard it and was like, no, it sounds like he just decided Nashville was going to get the first penalty regardless. And I, I just don't understand that at all. I mean, it's it's one thing where maybe you make a call that might be considered a little cheap or, or whatever, or maybe you got fooled by somebody and called a penalty in somebody's favor that you shouldn't have. I think that's normal. And I think that people will uh, make makeup calls all the time, but I just think you don't want to get caught doing it. But to actually have said, oh, yeah, I wanted to give Nashville a penalty early, I I just don't understand that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to present um, a bit of a uh, a different perspective because I'm wondering— what your thoughts on this are, obviously, the TVs uh the TV networks do have connections with their soundboards of what they're queued up, uh, listening to, and what they're not. Um, how much declare does the TV network have ownership of look, maybe we shouldn't have left his mic queued up for that long?
4: Yeah, I mean, every every game you watch, you you're looking for a kind of authenticity, and it's you're looking for excitement. So I can understand why they uh, tend to leave certain mics on, and and they even do it with the athletes. They they mic a, an an athlete up, up during a game, and that that's all for the excitement and kind of the viewers. So um, it sucks that it happened, and it just shows, I guess, from moving forward, I guess everyone will be a little more. Uh, Careful when they're when their mic is on.
3: Well, and I think that's a big part of it. If you as an official or even as a player know that you're wearing a microphone, think about what you're saying. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to get caught when you've got that device on you. And so at some point, you have to take some ownership of that and say, okay, I'm wearing a microphone. Don't just say what comes to mind. Or, or you know, watch, watch my language, perhaps. But, yeah, this was just a very weird situation to me, to be quite honest with you.
2: The, the interesting piece that I heard was that the nice because the nhl never actually said that they were going to uh they were going to fire tim peel what they said was he will no longer uh, officiate games now and in the future the narrative that i had been hearing was if this was an nhl referee in the prime of their career we're not having this conversation about about them being fired josh what do you make of that
3: I think it's probably very true. I think if this was a young referee, then you put it down to, oh, he's inexperienced. I think if it's a referee that's in the prime of his career, then you are looking at, you know, maybe some discipline, maybe a fine, but, I mean, how many times do we actually hear about officials who are actually disciplined? It's it's very rare from my Perspective. I don't think I've ever heard about any discipline for a referee publicly, and I don't know if that's the referees' union or or what. But it's it's. I, I'd like to see it more often. To be honest, I'd like to see more transparency because we've all complained, whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's baseball, even soccer, about the caliber of officiating. So. Let's, you know, let's make this more transparent.
4: I think that's what they're trying to do with the mics, aside from kind of the excitement of it. But at the same time, I with your remark, Barack, I am wondering because he was planning to retire at the end of this season anyway. So I'm wondering if their wording of not using the term fired or kind of let go is. It, are they still keeping him around and and maybe not reffing games but still giving him other duties to kind of just like wheel out his his contract
2: yeah because to your point the other piece that was not um not mentioned was it didn't say without pay it, it just said it didn't say with or without pay it literally just said he's no longer going to ref games in the nhl now and in the future um before we have brian on i just want to get uh, both your perspectives does this change what the nhl does with refereeing aside from hey guys watch what you say on mic does it change what the nhl says about calling penalties or or do we just see the same old same old claire start with you
4: I think we're going to see the same old, same old in the sense that there's not going to be this huge change. Um, I think, like I said, people are just going to be a little more careful as to what they actually say because they are mic'd up. Um, I think everyone's just going to be a little more uh, zoned in on on what the rest are doing now. And a lot more people are just going to pay a lot more attention to it. But in the terms of anything changing kind of in the game, I, I don't see anything changing.
3: I think we're probably going to see the status quo. I think as much as possible, the NHL wants to sweep this under the rug and have it go away, and I, I tend to agree. I think the, the the status quo will remain. It'll just be probably a memo to the officials that says, you know, watch what you say and make sure you're not wearing a microphone so it's it's too bad I'd like to see it be a cause for change but I just don't think it will be it's just I think
2: the the thing that I take from this is is such that you know when I was in school for radio it was always Your mic's always on and, you know, watch what you say. And even when we're on commercial break, you know, Matt still says to us, you're offline. But I'm still going to keep my comments enough so that, you know, I'm okay with whatever's being said. And I think that's the lesson learned here. Uh, Joining us to further have this conversation is former referee and head of officiating from 1989 to 2000 when he retired Brian Lewis joins us now to chat more about what we've been talking about Brian welcome to the program thank you my pleasure gentlemen
4: let's start where with where you when you when you were an official there was no such thing as being mic'd up how much of a challenge do you think it is for the officials right now with having that
0: Allow well, I me, mean, first of all, to apologize. I said, hello, gentlemen, I I apologize. I didn't realize who was all learned from a host perspective, so from that standpoint, I'm I'm sorry. When I was on the ice, no, there, we didn't have that. We tried some as an experiment. I remember that we had to go, when we were calling a penalty, uh, go stand in the middle of the blue line and make the announcement, shut the microphone off, and then get on with the balance of the game. That was an experiment that didn't go very well, didn't last, and so, no, the basic concept was that microphones were not that type of an issue uh, unless you saw somebody with a handheld microphone over by the family box uh, this was never an issue that, that what Tim Peel would experience
3: and I'm curious what you make of the decision to relieve Tim of his duties was it correct or could they have done something different
0: well, allow me to say this, and I think it's important that we understand completely what's going on. First of all, Mr. Peel had been in trouble before, so I don't want to say he's a repeat offender uh, for, for violating things that he should not have done. But you know what? When you're the boss and you look at it and you say, okay, uh, I've got somebody to fill in the position. i get somebody can handle the balance of the games. Uh, it's not a big deal in terms of replacing. But I think one of the more important parts to understand here, Tim Peel had already announced his retirement was going to be April the 24th. So if you looked at it, it's roughly one month out, based on maybe three games a week, uh, give or take. You know, So are we looking at 12, 15 hockey games that he is not working? Perhaps. So I think it's important to realize here, even though it sounds uh, you're done, you're finished, and, and whatever, it's not as significant as what it may be made out to be. <clears throat> and perhaps that makes it a little bit easier to, to imply uh, you're done, you're finished, you're over with. What I simply say here is I think knowing full well that that Tim Peel had announced his planned retirement date, uh, it's not perhaps as bad as what uh, it's perceived to be.
4: In professional sports, we see players, general managers, and coaches getting interviewed pretty much all the time. Why don't we hear from officials more often? Well, sometimes, and, and just as an example,
0: Sometimes you don't hear from the younger players. You don't hear from the lesser experienced people. You don't hear from the ones that can stand in front of a microphone and have a conversation. And so if you took a a rookie referee or a rookie official and put them in front, uh, it may not be fair. In particular, these are usually confrontational situations that somebody wants clarity. Traditionally, we allow for a pool reporter to come to the official's room and ask the question. Our rooms were never that big. If I took you into the Boston Gardens and you added two more people, people in the officials room, you're not moving. All right. So some of that is just because of convenience. Some is because of the, I'll say, the potential for confrontation. But yet that is there. And in addition to that, if it's a supervisor or a referee in chiefs in the building, he's there to provide that continuity and, and, and allow that to be happening. So it's not just wholesale somebody knocking on the door and say, hey, can I ask you this? Can I ask you that? We take the concept. For the most part, a polite question is deserving of of a polite answer, whether that be a reporter or whether that be a hockey player on the ice. So it's like never say never, but it's just not a published document that says, okay, all your reporters can run to the referee's room like they do to uh, to a hockey team dressing room. But that courtesy is still there. And we also think it's important that the media get the right rule interpretation and perhaps not make up their own.
2: We're joined by former referee and head of officiating, Brian Lewis. You're listening to The Neutral Zone, and I'm joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson.
3: I'm Brock Richardson. Does Mr. Peel have any options if he chose to retain his job for whatever time was left? Or do you think this is the league's final decision on the matter?
0: Well, I think the lead, that just as an example, when I was the boss, we had the right and, and the, the wherewithal to remove people from their contracts <clears throat> it's written into the contract what you can and can't do and if we sat here and say is this just cause now we could get into a debate that i was part of the national hockey officials association when we started and we had legal counsel i can guarantee you that if there was something that was deemed to be wrong inappropriate or whatever perhaps there there's a vehicle now in the contract that they've got that would allow some type of an appeal process to go through is that happening i don't i don't know Uh, I'm not solid on what the language really of a contract is today, but I can simply say before, as the referee-in-chief, I sat across the table under appeals for people who were dismissed. Is that happening today? I can only surmise it's there if they deem that to be the vehicle they want to use. But that would be done in conjunction with the Officials Association, uh, um, I'll say president, the Officials Association legal counsel. So somebody at the end of the day would take a look at this and say, okay, here's what it is I want to do. The NHL would be within the rights. you, You would have to have some comfort level to be able to say here the league with their lawyers and all that kind of stuff that they could turn to for advice would not make a decision and not rule in that manner unless they felt just cause.
4: Do you believe that you could still officiate in today's NHL or has the game drastically changed since you've refed?
0: Well, I, I guess I'm going to get hung up on your word drastically changed. All right? Has it changed? Sure. When I was on the ice, we got accused of putting your whistle in the pocket. The score was 2-2, two two and, and 10 minutes to go, we called nothing. Uh, that has changed over time. And I think, in fairness to any official, now or in the past, that part was, you know, we have to also recognize how the players are playing. And, and I would say here is that if the players are playing and they're playing the game, there's no need for me to call penalties. I just have to be in the right position to make the right decisions or whatever have you. But yet, I still get accused of putting my whistle in my pocket. Today, there's more flow and more goal. When I skated, uh, we, we had and had Sheridan College do a homework and research project. And he said, I skated 7.9 miles a night in an NHL game. We then, when I was a referee in chief, we put two referees on the ice. It dropped to 5.7. So now I would have to skate less. My thing is having done over a thousand games in national hockey. I've started in Georgetown. I skated to Vancouver, and I'm in Winnipeg on my way home, to make you understand. And that doesn't count American League games, Central League games, Western Hockey League games that you do as well. <clears throat> so it's, it's anyway. I, I apologize. Along with an answer to your question, I I could referee today. I think because of the two people on the ice. Now I got to then get in better shape than I'm in, and all those kind of things that also kick in. But the standards have changed, and, and the, the message is very clearly. If it's a penalty at the one-minute mark, it's a penalty at the 59-minute mark. The players must be accountable for their actions.
2: Um, I might be putting you on the spot with this one, and I apologize if I'm doing that. But is there such a thing in the NHL code, quote-unquote, of makeup calls? I can answer that in one-word terminology. No. Next question. That's totally (laughs) fair. And that's exactly what I. Allow me to do this and allow me to elaborate. Yeah.
0: It's so dependent upon the style of play. And and I'll give you a few examples. If I got my assignments and I had a game given to me that had maybe New York Rangers and New York Islanders or Philadelphia and Washington and Mm -hmm. Chicago and Minnesota or Calgary and Edmonton, my boss didn't have to phone me and say, Hey, Brian, you better be ready. That should be a tough game. I do my homework. I know my research as an official. I see these. I know these are going to be tough games. I have to get mentally, physically, and ready for that hockey game starting well in advance of that game. So I go out there. I am wound up. I am pumped. Why? No different than the player. And, and I'm, I'm ready to go. I may then have a tendency to make a call that at some point in time when I put my arm in there, I have two things that I might wish would happen. One, my arm would fall off, and two, I could very quickly invent a whistle that I could suck back the noise. Why? Because they're marginal or poor quality penalties. Nothing that the game wants. It does more to upset players than anything else. So when you're saying makeup, I will use the terminology marginal, which I might say afterwards, oh, darn it, I wish I hadn't called that one. Why? Because when I look at it on a tape after the game, I say, oh, yeah, I didn't think it was good. Now I know it's not good. Part of that is to teach me the next time I see that I don't put my arm in the air. So I would say here there's a greater tendency to and I would want to address it from a marginal penalty or poor quality penalty standard than rather to simply say makeup call. I'll give you another example. Uh, I still communicate with the gentleman who was with the Boston Bruins organization. To this day, he maintains that one night Boston was playing in New York Islanders and and Boston got seven straight penalties. And I said to him then, you know, if my math is right, the next one would be eight. In other words, don't commit those fouls and I won't have to do that kind of stuff. So the players are going to dictate to me good, bad, or ugly. I try to do everything I can not to have that bad penalty call. So you can say makeup call. No, I, I don't buy that. I don't like it. I don't want the term. I would say it's okay. And and I'll say this. The games are filled with a lot of one-minute penalties. The experience, there's no substitute for experience. The experienced official on a one-minute penalty doesn't put his arm in the air. The lesser experienced guy may have a tendency to put his arm in the air. And then he's coached and taught after the fact of saying, Hey, Johnny, if you see this again, and he'll get a clip sent to him, if you have this type of foul happen again, don't put your arm in there. That's just part of the teaching process. So it's so a long-winded answer to your question, but makeup call, I, I, I don't like that. Makeup is something that women put on or, or men put on or whatever. That's nothing to do with the game of hockey.
2: Hmm. Awesome answer. I love it. Do you really believe that if Mr. Peel was not a month away from his retirement, or as you alluded, possibly 12, 15 games, we're having a different conversation. And that another official who might be in the prime of their career may still be in the league later on. I can't answer that. You know, in
0: fairness to me, that's a question you should ask league management as to whether it would or wouldn't. I would say this, and and I heard you as, as I came on the phone, making a comment relative to uh, microphones and I would say this, you have to be accountable for the words used. And I heard somebody on the air talking about, you know, what you were taught at school and so on. And so on. We're, we're taught here is that, that um, the language around the rink, whether that be a player, whether that be a fan, whether it be just anybody, that's not, you have to be careful because what you say, you are accountable for, right? Whether there is or isn't a mic. And I've had players say, hey, you heard him say that about another player. So we have to operate under this. the factor. There are no secrets. And in this day and age, there's microphones all the place. The officials have microphones attached to their body that they flip a switch and say, number 14 in Toronto, two minutes for hooking, shut the switch off. What's to say that doesn't get turned on? So you have to be so careful for what it is you're saying in and around the building. Why? Because those walls have ears and you should function and operate that way. So that to me would be the, the, the downside to it would be simply say is choose your words wisely. I'm involved in politics in my town and have been for 20 years after I get out of hockey. It seems like no matter what it is I'm dealing with, you have to be careful of your language, your chosen
2: words, because. But that's no different than mom and dad. Absolutely. And very well said indeed. Thank you so much for coming on and shedding some light in this situation. We really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Call me anytime. That was Brian Lewis, who is a former official, and he was also the head of officiating between 1989 and 2000. That is the end of our show for this week. I would like to thank Josh Watson, Claire Buchanan. Our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Our audio technical supervisor is Paula Denine, And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Remember, next week there is no show as... We are observing the Good Friday holiday. So tune in two weeks from now when you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Be safe and have a great couple of weeks and we'll talk to you then.